Hello and welcome to the 4th Earthcast. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And uh, that's all you're getting. That's that's who's here this week. So uh, thank you all for, for waiting through our, our long, long break. We missed a whole episode. Uh, we were doing some, some family gathering, I presume. Uh, I got to see my family. Did you do anything for Thanksgiving, Brian? I went to hang out with my family. Ah, in Florida. Shoot. That's, uh, I, you're, you're not the only person I know who went to Florida for Thanksgiving, actually. So it's pretty wild. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's not the cool part. It's, it's in the Jacksonville suburbs, not the mm, Orlando suburbs. Yeah, I think they went to the Orlando suburbs. But uh, I had a family Thanksgiving, you know, the usual one with all of my giant Italian-American family all yelling at each other. Uh, <laughs> and then I had my, my roommate had a, a Thanksgiving dinner for... Uh, me, her, her mom, and like her best friends. So there's just four of us. There was a full turkey, like the full spread of sides, all of it. Uh, we still have lots of leftover turkey. It, it's so much. Like our fridge was absolutely packed full of leftovers. And the thing I'm proud of is that I took the turkey carcass and turned it into a delicious stock. And then I used that turkey stock to make risotto. So uh, I'm living the high life. Uh, anyways, it is pretty fancy. It was delicious. It was the best risotto I've ever made. And I have made risotto many times. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but we were gone for a week and now we're back. Uh, God, there's, what is, what is the news and magic right now, Brian? (laughs) I have no idea. That is an excellent question. Like I got home a little bit after the, whatchamacallit, ended for the stream. I know there's maybe some kind of secret layer drop thing, but I have... Like I'm so disconnected right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's the it's that time. I've been all in on Pokemon uh, Scarlet and Violet and Marvel Snap, and I have not been paying super close attention to Magic because I bought a, I pre-ordered a bunch of stuff for uh, Commander decks for um, from Brothers War, and I've told myself that I'm not buying any more Magic cards until I've like I have close to 50 EDH decks and I have a bunch of cards that I've already bought that are just waiting to be put into those decks. So I'm not buying any more cards until all of those cards are allocated into the respective decks that I purchased for them. So Yeah, I don't keep up that much with like the day-to-day minutia of the news. Uh, I know there was a a secret layer super drop thing that's happening in December. Looks like some cool stuff. Uh, Go check it out. I didn't really get a good look at them. Uh, I know there's like a, a serial one where it's like Ulamog and Atali and some other big monster um, who are like serial box art, which I thought was really cute. But uh, I know uh, next week we do have a first look at, at uh, Phyrexia All Will Be One. Uh, and I know that we, well, by next week, I mean this week. And by this week, I mean like tomorrow um, because that's how time works because the podcast comes out in the future. Uh, and there should be some news about March of the Machine, which we still don't know what Aftermath is. Uh, so looking forward to that. Otherwise, uh, other big things going on. Uh, the Nahiri Boom Comics issue came out. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that yet, Brian. It was really good. Um, it's like Sean and McGuire writing like a really good character study of Nahiri. Uh, makes you really like Nahiri, which is, you know, kind of hard. Um <laughs> But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we have a new issue of the Mainline Comics coming out this week as of the release of the podcast. So issue 21. Uh, and 
Uh, next week, we should be talking about issues 16 through 20. So if you're not caught up on the Boom comics, now's a good time to do it. It's, you know, the holidays. Take some time and read those. Uh, otherwise, that's the news. <laughs> There's something going on, I'm sure. So this week, we are, we're going to cover the Flavor Gems. We're doing the Flavor Gems of uh, the Brothers War. This set, I feel like, came out like a month ago. <laughs> but we've been busy covering all the story and all that, doing interviews. Uh, but now it's time to talk about all the cards. We have all of the cards from the set and the commander set. We also have uh, like a couple of arena alchemy cards have been previewed. Um, there's one that I, I do think I'll talk about at the end. But uh, yeah, we've we've got the Brothers War. Uh, so we're going to we're going to do this the way we normally do it. We're going to start off with our Planeswalkers. Uh, we're not going to separate out the characters into like new and returning because kind of they're every returning. they're all returning. Yeah, um, it's it's all based off the Brothers War story from 20 years ago. So there's not really new characters. Uh, they're all returning. There's a couple of like new ish characters. Uh, but I think every character who has a legendary card in the set is from the novel or from the stories. Uh, but anyways, we'll start off with our Planeswalkers and uh We've got two planeswalkers who are from the present day. Uh, well, kinda. Uh, Teferi's really old, so um, we have Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim, uh, who is uh, kind of from the present day, also kind of from the past, and he's he's making his way through both of them in this set. Uh, always happy to see a Teferi card. I am one of those people. I love Teferi. <laughs> I love Teferi, but I hate his cards because his cards are always. Super powerful and make the game super mythical for me me as a player who hates counter spells and control decks and all that nonsense. Well, uh, understandable. This Teferi is a little more aggressive than other Teferis has been, have been. Uh, he still costs five mana, which is like way too much for like an aggressive Planeswalker. But his like big thing is he doesn't have a plus one or any like plus abilities. He only has a zero to draw a card and then a static ability where you get a loyalty counter on him whenever you draw a card so like really kind of controlling but also his minus two makes tokens that get bigger when you draw cards so sweet yeah so like it's a pretty you could you could say he's a little aggressive um but his whole shtick is he's traveling through time yeah it's definitely one of the more fair to fairies and i do like the, the the idea that that creature is technically his spectral spirit form floating through mm-hmm. the events of the past. And I, I think that's a really cool flavor touch. Um, so love that. Yeah, it's a, it's a little questionable how the flavor of his card works because his ultimate uh, makes an opponent choose a permanent they control, return it to their hand, and then shuffle each non-land permanent they control into their library. But like... I don't really know how that's what story that's telling in the the card, but it's a uh, it's cool it's a cool ability. To um, me, that's mm-hmm. uh, yeah we're we're gonna put Teferi away and uh, all your this, like to me that this is him phasing himself out and going to Zalfir because I think the story ends with him in Zalfir, but that's just me. That's my that's my hypothesis and fight yeah. me over it. <sighs> Maybe that's him. Uh, Things going wrong with a temporal anchor. Yeah. Um, then we also have Sahili, Filigree Master. Uh, this is like one of her first times getting a, a standalone Planeswalker card outside of like. So she had Kaladesh. She had her card in uh, War of the Spark. She had a commander deck version. Uh, and now we have Sahili, Filigree Master. So this is like her second 
her third standard showing, uh, really kind of her second, because the War of the Spark ones don't count. Um, every Planeswalker got a card in War of the Spark. It doesn't count. Uh, but she's a... Urza didn't. Well, Urza is dead. <laughs> He's very, very dead. Uh, Good. Yeah, she's just doing artifact stuff. Summoning Thopters, making artifact, making emblems that make your artifacts better. Stuff like that. Uh, her art's really cool. She's making a Silex. I hope that goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the third Planeswalker. So the set only has three Planeswalkers total. Um, two of them are Planeswalker cards. The third one is a meld card, which is Urza, comma, Planeswalker. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. So I'm not going to even sit on him mm-hmm. uh, for any amount of time here because... Uh, the next step of the flavor gems is to discuss the legendary creatures. Uh, so this set gives us a lot of copies of Mishra and Urza, and then also Titania. So uh, including the commander sets and the meld cards, Urza and Mishra both got five cards each. So sweet. It's really cool because like, you know, they were kind of underserved uh, in terms of like, they had a really big lore impact, but only like, a card each so it was like really underserved in terms of cards and now they have cards for multiple stages of their lives uh so mishra we're gonna start with him because he's the better better brother uh mishra excavation prodigy uh is his like uncommon version of him that is at tukasia's dig site uh being a kid excavating things very fun because he works really well with the unearth mechanic uh which is kind of his mechanic in the set uh, we also have Mishra, Tamer of Makfawa. So this is post his time as a, like, uh, kid. This is post the Sundering of the, the Mightstone and Weakstone. This is Akasha's when he... Hmm? Post Akasha's death. Or yeah. Akasha's death. This is when he has uh, sort of used the Weakstone to uh, claim a dragon engine. Uh, and funny enough, it gives all of your uh, your artifact cards in your graveyard unearth, And that's all of your artifact cards so not just not just creatures all of your artifact cards have unearthed for one black and red so this is a really really cool effect and very powerful card i think um i would build this as a commander if i didn't have like three black red commander decks already yeah um, but it's pretty cool uh so then uh that's him sort of like leading the falaji forces uh and then uh his commander card is mishra imminent one so this is when Mishra has uh, seized full control of the Falaji forces. He is now the leader of their their military, uh, and he's doing some uh, some cool stuff with uh, his Mishra's war forms. And then uh, the next step in Mishra's life is Mishra claimed by Gix. So uh, he becomes fully corrupted by Phyrexia. Uh, this is the mythic version of the card. So in the set, each of the brothers has an uncommon, a rare, and a mythic. This is his mythic version. Uh, he's looking kind of rough. Uh, he uh, then melds with a card called Phyrexian Dragon Engine, just like in the story, to become Mishra lost to Phyrexia. So I think um, one really cool thing about the meld cards in this set is that they do just sort of tell the story from uh, the perspective of the Brothers War. So the Phyrexian Dragon Engine at the end of the story is the one that Mishra sort of combines with, literally melds with. Uh, and also it has unearth and it like melds with him because of being unearthed um, or can be melded because of being unearthed. Uh, the way that the cost lineup is really cool where it's like you have a three mana Phyrexian dragon engine when it dies, 
on turn four, you can play Mishra Claim by Gix. And then on turn five, you can unearth it, uh, attack with both of them, and meld. So I think it's neat. I think I like how both Urza and Mishra can kind of meld on curve. It's really cool. But we can get to Mishra, I mean, Urza later. Yeah. Uh, Mishra Claim or Lost of Phyrexia, the melded version, is a giant 9 9 Phyrexian artificer, legendary artifact creature with like six abilities whenever uh, it enters the battlefield or attacks and you choose three of them. So this is like the super command. Um, I know that like the the way it was was like a charm is you have three, you pick one. A command is you have four, you pick two. And then this is like the super command where you have six and you pick three. Uh, and they, they do black red stuff. You make opponents discard cards, deal three damage to a target, destroy an artifact or planeswalker. Funny enough, you can attack with Mishra and kill the Planeswalker Urza, but you cannot use Mishra to kill the creature Urza, which is funny. Flavor win, I guess. And then uh, you can give creatures you control Menace and Trample and uh, make creatures you don't control smaller, um, things like that. But uh, yeah, that's the Mishra cards. And then we have the Urza cards. Uh, He goes second because he's the worst brother. Um, Eh, worse is all relative. I I prefer to think that even though Urza is awful, he's the better brother because he did not go full bore Phyrexian much earlier in his life. So that's just me. Well, uh, the first Urza card early in his life is Urza Powerstone Prodigy. Uh, him, the, the two cards of Urza Powerstone Prodigy and uh, Mishra Extivation Prodigy are uh, sort of, they, they're both by uh, Donato Giancalo. Uh, Jinkala, and they're they're both incredible pieces of art. They work together. They are the two brothers working on their ornithopter. Um, this one is uncommon and uh, works really well with Unearth, and also works really well with the Power Stone Matters and Power Stones as a theme because he makes Power Stones. Pretty neat. Uh, he gets older and he turns into Urza, Prince of Krug. So this is a uh, post Tokasia death, post Bitestone Weakstone. This is. Uh, when he marries Caleb Bidenkrug, who we'll talk about later, he is an artifact creature lord. He gives all your artifact creatures plus two, plus two, uh, and you can uh, use them to create tokens that are copies of artifacts and make them into 1-1 one, one soldier creatures, uh, which is pretty neat. Uh, as a reminder, you can use power stones to activate abilities of creatures. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. So you can just get a bunch of power stones and then make copies of creatures. So uh, it's neat. Sweet. Uh, then he gets uh, his commander card, which is Urza, Lord Protector. So uh, after, or Urza, Chief Artificer, excuse me. So after he's become Prince of Krug, he uh, rises in the ranks, becomes the Chief Artificer, starts leading the armies of uh, Krug in their battle against the Falaji, um, has affinity for artifact creatures, which is really fun on a commander because that does yeah. reduce the payment. So as long as like, so if you have three artifact creatures, he just costs white, blue, black. If you have five, the next time you cast him, even with the additional commander tax, he still costs white, blue, black. So that's neat. He goes wide. He makes a lot of uh, construct tokens rather than making like big war forms. Makes sense for their characters. Urza having a big army, Mishra having a large like size army. Also, <laughs> like big monsters. It, it, it hints at the fact that Urza is better around his artifact creatures than he is around normal creatures. Or normal people. Yeah, he's better around robots than around humans. Um, so uh, later in his life, we get Urza Lord Protector. So this is Urza in Argoth in the final battle. Uh, he is 
a mythic. He does things. He makes your instants, sorceries, and artifacts cost less. He uh, then costs seven mana, which is, you know, the typical Urza mana cost to uh, meld him with the Might Stone and the Weak Stone, which I think is really cool that he melds with the uh, the two artifacts, which are together now. Um, Might Stone and the Weak Stone cost five. Urza costs three. Uh, but he does make your artifacts cost one less, so you can play Urza and then next turn play the Might Stone and Weak Stone, uh, sort of in the same vein as Mishra building up to uh, his final form. Urza also makes himself build up to his final form because Might Stone and Weak Stone cost uh, five, reduced to four, taps for two mana. Urza costs seven to activate to meld them. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Three, four, five. It, yep. it works out. Um Really smart stuff on the designers. I'm just really happy with the set. Um, anyways, that's my my inner Melvin talking. Uh, love the designs of these cards. Um, but he does meld into Urza, comma, Planeswalker, which is our third Planeswalker of the set. Big Ooh, card. Boo the comma. Boo the comma. God, it's just, it could have been so easy just to not put the comma there. Just, I really wish they just hadn't have put it there. For the For listeners those. who don't know, Urza Planeswalker is the name he goes by. Like, that's the whole point of the Planeswalker novel. His name is Urza Planeswalker. Yeah, other Planeswalkers refer to him as Urza Planeswalker. Like, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. ridiculous in some aspects, but it's it's funny. But the fact that the comma is there is kind of annoying because people just refer to him as Urza Planeswalker all the time. And, like, I don't understand why the comma was added. Just a waste of ink. Yeah, um... Anyways, he's he's got a lot of cool abilities, and you can activate them twice each turn rather than once. So, uh, really powerful card. Yeah. Um, in terms of Planeswalkers, he's he starts with seven loyalty, which is already like you know the Urza number. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Uh, he has plus two to make your instant sorcery spells cost two less to cast uh, and artifacts. Uh, plus one to draw two cards and discard a card. Uh, zero to make one one soldier artifact creature token. So he's already like protecting himself pretty well. Uh, the turn you flip him, you can make four soldiers if you want to. Um, he can uh, exile a permanent, which is I feel like the Urza and Urza descendant planeswalker card thing to do. Uh, Karn exiles permanents quite a bit, uh, and then he's got a minus ten, which causes all of your artifacts and planeswalkers to gain indestructible, and then destroys all non land permanents. I think that's a really cool way to like represent the Silex Blast and also uh, really fun because you can get him to 11 loyalty the turn you play him and then just stare at your opponent. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> yeah. Super sweet. So those are the Urza cards. Uh, and then there's sort of like a third faction, a third, uh, not the third path. That's a different group, but there's a third <laughs> faction in the um, in this war at the end, and that's the the Argothians and Titania. Uh, and so we got some cards for Titania, which was cool. We had one previously uh, was a big fan of the Titania card from Commander. It has made its way into two of my Commander decks. Yeah, um, super sweet card. I made myself a huge target and almost uh, killed everyone with a Titania. Uh, last time I played Commander, or Commander card, I played her in Zurn Orb and had like 11 lands in yeah. play and just kind of stared at everyone like, if you try and mess with me, <laughs> we're going to go off. I love um, her with the uh, uh, Gruul Omnath, just like, mm, mm-hmm. perfect. 
Well, I had her and the Zurin orb and a uh, mending of Dominaria in yes. play, and so it was just like y'all have a y'all have a clock ticking. You have to get rid of these cards, or else I will just uh, destroy all my lands and then get them back. So, anyways, um, we got three Titania cards, kind of. So uh, we got Titania and Nature's Force, and so I'm putting this before her set booster or before yeah. her uh, like main set card in terms of chronology i definitely think that makes sense yeah she's she looks a little bit younger um this is exclusive to like set and collector's boosters this is not in the commander decks and not in the main set um allows you to play forest from your graveyard allows uh you make five three green elemental creature tokens whenever a force comes into play under your control and uh whenever an elemental you control dies you may mill three cards so it's uh it works really well with the other Titania, creates a really fun commander card. I think she's neat. Agreed. Uh and then she uh grows up and she gets older and she gets more mean and she becomes Titania, Voice of Gaia, which is a three mana three four with reach. It's a mythic. Uh whenever lands are put into your graveyard from anywhere, you gain two life. And uh beginning of your upkeep, if there are four more land cards in your graveyard and you both own and control Titania Voice of Gaia and a land named Argoth, Sanctum of Nature, uh, which was a very cool land in the set. Um, I'm trying to remember what Argoth does. Pay two and two colors and tap it to mill these two cards. And you make a bear token. Yeah, the problem with the Argoth land is it's not legendary. So it doesn't... Well, <laughs> yeah. it depends on what you're lo- how, mm-hmm. like, what, what's bad for you. Because... I, they wizards makes it non-legendary for like standard playability, so you can have multiple at the same time. But like, it's definitely a card I, I would have liked to have seen be legendary. But yeah. Anyways, uh, if you have that in play and you uh, have four lands in your graveyard, uh, she melds into big Titania, uh, Titania Gaia Incarnate, which is a big old vigilance, reach, trample, haste. With power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. Uh, when she comes into play, you return all your lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, which, you know, means she works really well with both of the other Titanias. Uh, and she has an activated ability to just put four plus one plus one counters on a land and make it into a creature. Um, so you can just pay four mana and turn a land into a four four, which is cool. Uh, you can also pay four mana and make another, like, make that land into an eight eight. So just remember that. Uh, and you can do it at any speed you want. So this is the full force of Gaia in the form of her Maro Sorcerer Titania. I think it's cool. It's a big, fun green melt card. Uh, but those are like our big meld cards of the set. Um, there are uh, a bunch of other legendary characters. We've talked like for like 10 episodes about the story of Dominaria. And we've spent like four episodes alone on just talking about the story of the Brothers War. So like, I'm not planning on spending a lot of time on these cards yeah we, we've talked about them in, in as far as what their relevance is so like as long as you recognize like some of the names you can go back and listen to our some of the explanations or read about them from the different stories where they appear within the uh the, either the novel or the web comics or web stories rather. Mm-hmm. yeah so uh First up on that list is Ashnod. We've got two Ashnod cards, one in the main set, one in the commander set. Uh, Ashnod Flesh Mechanist, or Mechanist? Mechanist? I don't know. Uh, And then Ashnod the Uncaring, 
notice doesn't have a comma. Maybe the comma that was supposed to be here fell off and fell onto the Urza card. <laughs> um, but Ashnod, the flesh mechanist, is I think a little earlier in her story, um, where she's still sort of developing the transmigrants. Uh, and then Ashnod, the uncaring, is like definitely during the height of the war. Um, you see her in the picture with all of her transmigrants around her. Uh, cool cards. I like that Ashnod Flesh Mechanist is a one mana, one one with death touch. Just really utility card, even if you don't do much else uh, with her. Um, and then we have Taunos. So we got we got Nod and Duck. Um, Taunos also got two cards. Uh, he got Taunos the Toymaker in the main set, where he's sort of a young, full of life, making mechanical toys. It's very cute. Uh, Taunos is just a, a fun, nice guy. Uh, he's green-blue in this card, which is really funny. Never really took him to be a green character, but it makes sense. If you think about him taking a lot of uh, uh, like inspiration from animals. Um, and then uh, he gets old, and he starts working for Kayla post-war. And we have Taunos Solemn Survivor. Uh, he's from the Commander set. He has a Esper-activated ability that lets you sacrifice artifact tokens. Uh, to make a token of an artifact or creature card in your graveyard. Uh, so that can just sort of like, you can uh, you can use him to essentially just like keep replicating stuff with his first ability that lets you like create a token of uh, an artifact you token you already control. And then so uh, it's pretty neat. I think he's a, a really cool artifact matters, uh, artifact token commander for Esper. And he just looks super old. He looks so old. That man has been through a lot. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, Taunos, we also got a card finally for Queen Kayla Ben Krug. This was like, I think, one of the most anticipated cards of the set. I think when we heard that we were going back to the Brothers War, I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, we finally can do Kayla Ben Krug justice. And so she got a, a red, white human noble card. Definitely her during her height of like power as the Queen of Krug. Um, has a really long, complicated activated ability. I think the activated ability is why you can prove that this is when she's still in power in crew because I think she has a much more jaded uh, view of artifice and whatnot closer to the end of her life. But Yeah, she uh, her activated ability lets you discard your hand and then draw that many cards. So uh, really good effect already. Like just being able to essentially like windfall for yourself or whatever it's not really a wheel of fortune effect, but it's kind of a wheel effect. Um, getting to wheel for yourself is already a good thing to do. Uh, and then she lets you choose an artifact or creature card with mana value one, uh, one with mana value two, and then one with mana value three from the cards you discarded and put them onto the battlefield. So really, really powerful card, especially for a three mana rare creature. Uh, and yeah, it does show that she still is like okay with artifice. Uh, I think she's still okay with Artifice for her entire life, but she definitely doesn't trust it um, later on. So I was really excited to see that we were getting a, a Caleb and Krug card. Um, she kind of got done dirty by the original novel. Uh, then we uh, we have Harbin, her son with Urza. He got a card. Harbin Vanguard Aviator. So he's a, a human soldier. He's flying a mech. Uh, not a vehicle, though. Ooh. <laughs> Um, and he's a soldier tribal. He, if you attack with a bunch of tro soldiers, they gain flying and a plus one plus one. Solid card. 
not very exciting, but it's got really, really nice art by Kieran Yanner. So happy that uh, we got some good Harbin art. Be really good uh, in like soldier tribal decks. It's mm-hmm. like one of the early decks in standard with him with just having with all the, the soldiers and this set is super sweet. Now it's kind of yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. This is like a really powerful card. It's just like yeah, it's kind of yeah. It's Harbin. <laughs> it's it's just not very powerful. Like it's not very interesting to me. Uh, but it is a very powerful card. Uh, then we also have a, a card for Tokasia. We have Tokasia Dig Sight Mentor. So uh, as we know from all the stories, Tokasia was sort of like the archaeologist who took in uh, Urza and Mishra when they were young and trained them up and then died to their mischief. Uh, but we have like a, a Bant card that is like surveil tribal kind of. Um, she gives all of your creatures vigilance and tap surveil one. Uh, so we have surveil as like a, an official keyword for all of time now, which is cool. Um and then she has an activated ability from your graveyard where you can exile her to return any number of artifact cards with mana value 10 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So uh, she uh, she dies in the story and her card dies. Uh, and then you can put artifacts in play. So I think a pretty flavorful design. I like it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then speaking of the third faction, we also have the third path. Uh, we got a bunch of cards for characters who are part of the third path. We get uh, two cards for Loran. So this is another uh, character in the story who got more than one card. I think other than Urza, Mishra, and Titania, she is the only other person to get more than one card um, in the main set. So uh, we have an uncommon Lauren Disciple of History. So this is when she was younger, working alongside Urza and Mishra at Tokasia's dig site. Um, She's a legendary creature tribal, sort of, uh, where you get to use her and other legendary creatures to return artifact cards from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, and then we have Loran of the third path. So this is after she has uh, helped found the third path. Um, in her art, you can see her studying the Silex. Uh, famously, her her big thing was she was the one who sort of figured out what the Silex was and how to use it. Um, funny enough, when she enters the battlefield, you destroy an artifact or enchantment, uh, which is fun. Um, but she also, you know, this is her later in life. She's sort of come to realize the power and dangers of artifice and is uh, quietly studying what will be the most destructive artifact in all of history. Uh, We also got Felden, her husband, who at this point in the story is just a excavator in Ronam. Uh, He's the one who finds the Silex, question mark. There's a lot of discussion about where it came from. (laughs) Um, But in this version of the story, we are assuming that he finds it. Uh, This is the second Felden card. He also had one in a commander set back in 2014. Yeah, that's 2013. One of those. Uh, The mono red Doretti deck. Um, Anyways, uh, yeah, he's here. We also got a card for Drafna, uh, who was the founder of Latnam, which is the like school of mages. Um, Funny enough, he works entirely with artifacts. It's funny, though, because he has an ability that I feel like his wife should have, Herkel. Mm. Um, Because Herkel is much known for her recall, which is a two-minute instant card that uh, returns all artifacts you control to their to you, its owner's hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I it's to like any that. player controls. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that ability is something she should have, and her ability is something that's kind of random. 
relatively <laughs> speaking. So, yeah. Well, uh, he he has an ability that returns an artifact you control to its owner's hand and an ability to copy artifact spells you control. Um, meanwhile, we also got a card for Herkel, who is Herkel Master Wizard, which if you are unfamiliar, uh, the Master Wizard title is sort of the title of the like leader of the school of Latnam. Uh, it is a title that is passed on for a long time. There was a master wizard in Dominaria as well. Uh, I think Narumeha is the master wizard. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not going to look it up. Anyways, uh, yeah, her ability allows you to, um, if you cast non-creature spells, you can look at your li- top five cards of your library and like cast, like put it, it's very complicated. It's a lot of text. A lot of these cards suffer it's, from having a lot of yeah, text. Yeah, so basically, it's just like you're looking at the top of your library for the number of spells you've cast, and then you can put cards equal to the number. No, what? Never mind. Let's skip this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Herkel's here. Um, and then we have a card for the Archimandrite, who is uh, that card is only in the set boosters. Uh, the, Ar- the Archimandrite is like the leader of the Ivory Towers. Uh, which is where the third path was located. He's like a, a powerful for the time wizard. I thought was pretty cool. Uh, and uh, he is a uh, red, white, and blue uh, sort of advisor, artificer, and monk lord, which is uh, pretty neat. With the ivory tower ability stapled on, uh, I guess, to her, to them. The Archimandrite's a title. I think at the time um, of the story, the Archimandrite was a woman, but I am not sure. Um, yeah, advisor, artificer, and monk lord. Just a fun card for commander. Uh, but then we also have a couple of other legends that pop up. Uh, there's a bunch. So the sets between the main set and the uh set boosters and commander set, there's like 40 something legendary cards. Um, so not going to talk about all of them, but some big ones. We got a card for Gwynna. Eyes of Gaia, who we've talked about as being in the story, the elf who shoots down Harbin's plane or Ornithopter and then lets Harbin live. Uh, so good job, Gwenna. This is all your fault. Um, and then uh, we got a, uh, I guess Gwenna is an elf and that's important to you. I understand that. I shouldn't gloss over that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyways, we also got a card for the amazing Gix Yawgmoth Praetor, who I uh, love. Love the card. Love Gix. Loves that. Gix got a watermark and no one else did. (laughs) So Gix, uh, we've known about Gix for a long time. This is Gix's first appearance on like a regular magic card. We've had Gix in some art before and we've had Gix uh, as a Vanguard card. But this is our first Gix card. Um, Has the Phyrexian Praetor creature type too. So this is the first Praetor that we have seen outside of uh, the new Phyrexian Praetor's and like the Ebon Praetor, um, who I think is also uh, a, a Praetor. But anyways, real happy that we got a Gix card, finally. Uh, this is also like, there's a bunch of other legendary creatures. Uh, there's legendary creatures for some of the characters from the story. Um, there are legendary creatures who are just like, they have shown up in the the like novel a couple of times. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the list of the legendary creatures we're going to talk about for now. We also have the story spotlights. There are 40 story spotlights in this set. I think in the past, we would have five. They got up to, I think, like 13 or 14 for Dominar United. And now we have 40. 
So um, I'm going to do the thing I try and do on the show where I go through all of them in the order chronologically. Uh, but there are 40, so I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, I'm just going to say what's going on and how these specific cards fit into the story and not what they do. So we're going to start off with um, the, the story spotlights that are sort of the beginning of the Brothers Were story that we have. So these are taking place in the present. Uh, we've got the Forging of the Anchor, uh, the Temporal Anchor, which are the Sahili creating the Temporal Anchor, uh, and then Soul Partition, which is describing how Teferi manages to use it to go back in time as a ghost with Kaya's help. Uh, and then we see the early years of Urza and Mishra's life. We have Tokasia's dig site, uh, which is where it all takes place. Tokasia's welcome, which is her saying, hey, these two orphaned kids come work on my archaeological dig. Good job. Uh, meticulous excavation, uh, stern lessons. So Takasia teaching them uh, take flight. So they have repaired the ornithopter that they found and they use it to fly. Um, the last happy moment that they have together in their entire life. Uh, and then splitting the power stone. They break the mightstone and weakstone in half, uh, forming the sibling rivalry, uh, which shows them trying to control a machine. Uh, Brotherhood's end. So the like their powers cause an explosion, uh, which kills Tokasia, which is referenced in overwhelming remorse, which shows Mishra running away from the site of the explosion, remorseful for what's happened. Uh, and then the card Portal to Phyrexia is also a story spotlight. And I put it here in the early years because breaking the Mightstone and Weakstone is what allowed the Portal to Phyrexia to reopen in the Caves of Koilos. Um, then we have a period of their life that I called separate but evil. Uh, so this is this is when the two brothers are not together, but they're not yet directly fighting each other um, until the end. So we have a machine over matter. So this is when Urza wins the hand of Caleb Ben Krug uh, with his artifice. Mishra's domination. This is showing Mishra uh, finding the Falaji dragon and uh, finding, excuse me, the dragon engine. Uh, which becomes the Falaji Dragon Engine that he dominates with the weak stone. Uh, then we have the bitter reunion when the two brothers meet at the peace negotiations, which turn into the hostile negotiations uh, when uh, the uh, warlord of Krug and the leader of the Falaji decide to uh, attack the negotiations. Um, so then we have uh, the war. So this is when the, the brothers war really kicks off with the fall of Krug. Um, when Krug is assaulted by the dragon engines of the Falaji and Mishra. Uh, we have the union of the third path. So this is sort of taking a break and going, hey, this is the third path. These are the people opposed to the war and also like opposed to Urza and Mishra. Uh, then they get raised to the ground. Raised to the ground depicts the destruction of the ivory towers. Uh, Herkel's final meditation. So Herkel's meditations are sort of like her magic uh, theories and her final meditation was to make all of these artifacts disappear, like dragon engines that were attacking the ivory towers. Uh, but it's not enough. And uh, the last card in this area is Loran's escape. So uh, Loran escapes from the ivory towers and from you know the destruction that's happening with the Silex. Uh, but the Silex is captured by, as you know, Ashnod, and and she's killed. So uh, we then have the corruption of Mishra. So Mishra got like several cards showing his corruption. Uh, Dreams of Steel and Oil, Visions of Phyrexia, and Corrupt. 
uh, are all depicting Ur Mishra slowly falling into Phyrexian's grasp. Uh, and then we have Diabolic Intent, which is a really cool reprint we got um, with Gix sort of directly stepping in and uh, sort of feasting on the minds of his followers. Uh, and then um, at some point during all of this, uh, Tanos gets captured and Ashnod uh, helps him with uh, Ashnod's intervention, where she says, hey, look, the Gixians are kind of corrupting everything. They're playing both sides. You need to go talk to Urza about this. So then we have the end of the war in Argoth. Um, this starts, of course, with Shoot Down, which is uh, Harbin's flying machine, his, his ornithopter being shot down over Argoth, uh, which then leads Urza and Mishra to discover this land of plenty with Wasteful Harvest. Um, then uh, Argoth fights back with a Awake in the Woods. Uh, there's a giant war that takes place between the two brothers here. Uh, during this fight, Ashnod passes off the Silex to Taunos in Fateful Handoff. Uh, he delivers it to Urza right before the epic confrontation between Urza and Mishra, which turns into the gruesome realization that Urza has that Mishra has been corrupted. Uh, Urza then uses Urza's Silex. So we have a card for Urza's Silex uh, here, the Golgothian Silex, but, you know, doesn't just destroy things from, like, antiquities. Um, and then uh, after the Silex explosion, we have one with the multiverse, which is Urza's ascent to being a planeswalker. Um, at this time, Tanos like slips into the stasis coffin, which later becomes an important tool in the temporal anchor. But for now, it's just where Tano sleeps for five years. Uh, and um, Urza looks over what has become of Dominaria after his ascension and sees Calamity's wake. And then we can kind of like go through the future a little bit. We have a card for Kayla's reconstruction. So uh, if you read the stories, you know that Kayla sets up in Pinragon and helps rebuild with Tanos. Uh, kind of making a nice little home there for a little while, at least. Um, and then we have the card Desynchronize. And this is what you were talking about earlier, Brian, with Teferi being lost in time and potentially on Zalfir. And uh, those are all 40 of the flavor gems. Woo! That was that was a lot. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, that's them in order. If you're looking to make a flavor gems themed deck or a... Uh, Story Spotlight theme deck. There you go. Um, there are some other cards that are like really cool flavor gems that I wanted to mention real quick while we still have a little bit of time. Um, one of the biggest things for this set that really hit well with me uh, was sort of the the story of trench warfare. So for those of you don't, who don't know, I um, have most of an English major. Uh, got a theater degree instead. But I do have a lot of English uh, classes and I, I read a lot of poetry. Um, and I particularly love poetry of world war one I. I know it's weird but i do yeah. love world war one poetry and uh there's two cards in the set called over the top and in the trenches which i think really capture a lot of the like emotional feel of being in trench warfare um so i just i think that those are a really cool combination uh over the top is when you like leave the trench <laughs> so it's a very dangerous moment uh especially considering like leaving the trenches is how you die going into no man's land is how you will die in trench warfare uh so having a card representing that was really cool especially when the card is um very flavorful in the sense of like uh you are revealing cards from the top of your library equal to the number of non-land permanents uh you control and then you put all of those permanent cards onto the battlefield so it's um a really cool way of just like people jumping out of the trenches uh but yeah i think those two cards are really cool 
Um, we also got a card for Thraxodemon, which is a type of demon that is first referenced back in Antiquities on the card Artifact Possession. So like this is a long, long callback. Um, artifact Possession was a enchant artifact from Antiquities that causes artifacts to do damage to their controllers. Uh, and the flavor text is any black mage could coax a Thraxodemon to inhabit a magical device. And then we got a card in the set called uh, Thraxodemon. That is a uh, pretty cool callback. It uh, it does make you, uh, you can sacrifice artifacts to draw cards with it. It doesn't really have an artifact possession effect, but yeah. Uh, we also got a card called Draconic Destiny, which is for those of you who may be newer to magic, don't remember the card Angelic Destiny. Uh, Brian, I don't know how familiar you are with what was the menace of Angelic Destiny. One of the most powerful cards. Yeah, I was not playing Magic at that time. So, like, we've gotten one... So, like, it's not really a cycle, right? If we only have, like... Let me bring up the text for it. Um, so, Angelic Destiny was in, released in M12. Uh, it was an enchantment that makes your creature into an angel. Gives it plus four, plus four. Flying in first strike. Uh, and when the creature dies, you can return Angelic Destiny to your hand. So I remember this card very fondly uh, and also kind of very sadly as a card that just like really made like aggro decks pretty powerful. Um, I don't know how strong it was in reality. I know how strong it was to me playing Magic in 2011 and 2012. Um, but Draconic Destiny does a very similar thing. It makes your creature into a dragon. It gives it plus one plus one flying in haste and gives it fire breathing for generic mana, which is really cool. Um, and when the creature dies, you return Draconic Destiny to your hand. Um, we have had a lot of like enchantments that do similar stuff. I know there's like a Demonic Embrace. I think I mentioned that when we were first looking at these cards. Um, but this is like the first like direct, direct reference. Like Demonic Embrace is similar, but like Draconic Destiny and Angelic Destiny are definitely callbacks that we like very, very much the same. Um, we also got our Gothian Sprite, which is a reference to a card from Antiquities. It is a green fairy that has, well, in Antiquities, there is a green fairy that has protection from artifacts. Uh, this one doesn't have protection from artifacts. It just can't be blocked by artifact creatures. Thought that was fun. Um, there's also a, a pair of artifacts called Blade Coil Serpent and Clay Champion. Uh, Clay Champion being, of course, something that Tonos would create. Um, but they have uh, bonuses when you cast them for certain colors of mana, which I thought was really cool. Uh, Blade Coil Serpent uh, gets better with Grixis mana. So you get bonus effects when you cast it for uh, with blue, blue, black, black, or red, red. And then Clay Champion gets bonuses from uh, Selesnia mana. So green, green, and white, white. It's neat. It's the difference between Mishra and uh, Urza's Artifice. Well, Tonos's, but Urza claimed it. <laughs> Uh, and then there's um, a trio of cards that are all assembly workers called the Mine Worker, Power Plant Worker, and Tower Worker, uh, which are direct references to Urza's Mine, Urza's Power Plant, and Urza's Tower. Loved getting those. Thought those were really, really cool. Um, they also like have similar abilities where if you control all three of them, they all get really a lot better, where Mine Worker gains you three life power instead of one. Power Plant Worker puts counters on it instead of just getting a plus two, plus two until end of turn. And then uh, Tower Worker taps for one mana or taps for three mana if you have uh, the other two. So it's uh, 
pretty reminiscent of Urza's lands. Uh, and then like my final flavor gem I want to talk about, and you can bring up anything if you have something in mind. Uh, we also got the in like the the final four cards of the Painland cycle. So like Battlefield Forge, Brushland, uh, Lanoir Wastes, and Underground River. Um, they all have flavor text from the Antiquities War. I think that's pretty neat. And I know we've talked about Lanoir Wastes before on this podcast, but it is depicting the Silex Bat Blast from Lanoir looking across the ocean. Um, so, or excuse me, the Viscerid Sea, I believe, or the Visceral <laughs> Sea. Thanks, Lorelai. Yes, thank you, Lorelai. And the elves of Lanoir just looking over across the ocean like, these white men are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> Poor Lanawar, it's gonna suffer so much, and it's not their fault. <laughs> they did nothing. They weren't even involved. Uh, but that's um, like we said earlier, this set is full of flavor gems. There's so many. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Blast Zone reprint that shows the destruction of the Ivory Towers. I think it's really, really beautiful art um, by Jorge uh, Jacinto, uh, who before this uh, set had only done art for. Uh, the alchemy sets on arena so love to see digital artists showing up in print it's always really cool uh anyways you got you got any flavor gem thoughts got any gems no i I think you covered it very well and i'm hella tired so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh yeah it's just the two of us and we're we're both pretty tired but i love to hear myself talk so uh got any final thoughts um Pokemon games are great. Like they're, <laughs> they are by no means anywhere close to perfect, and it's you can tell that they were kind of rushed. But you know, for all their flaws, the story is probably the best storyline that they've ever given a Pokemon game, and it's they they are. I've been genuinely happy with the the, the story and the gameplay. Like they're like I said, it's not perfect. There are random glitches, Pokemon standing in walls and popping out at inopportune times, or I've seen people fall through floors and duping, duping glitches and stuff like that, but I think they are a decent addition to the franchise, and I love the story, that all, all the storylines that are in the game, so hopefully they get all the glitches patched up soon once the new year hits or whatever. Um, and I really hope that the Pokemon company really works to improve this next time. Cause like they've actually improved upon these, all of these games, like all the storylines, the, the open world concept has been really neat. Um, small tweaks here and there can make these even better than anything that they've ever done. And it's, it's nice to see that they can actually change things up and still make things better after all these years of putting out these games so i um i played sword and shield and i enjoyed sword and shield but i kind of fell off from sword and shield uh pretty quickly after i finished the story yep um i did not play like any of the dlc or anything like that uh i did not play pokemon legends rcs um even though i heard it was really good i didn't don't really like breath of the wild and i know i'm gonna get shot for saying that but i just did not play Breath of the Wild and enjoy it. So like I uh, wasn't that into the idea of an open world Pokemon game. I have not followed anything coming out about Scarlet and Violet in like the sense of like the game itself. Don't know the story. I don't even know most of the Pokemon. 
like I just saw a name for a Pokemon pop up like someone was talking about it and I saw a name and I was like, I don't know what this is. I've never seen this Pokemon. So like, I don't know anything about this game right now. I kind of want to play it. Should I get one of those Scarlet or Violet? Yes. Okay. Which one should I get? I would take a look at the box legend because you're going to be spending a lot of time looking at it. So whichever one that you like the best to go with that. I guess um, I will the, say that mm-hmm. there are a lot more of the uh, violet versions floating around because that Pokemon is a lot cooler to look at for the vast majority of people, myself included. But uh, my fiance got both and she let me play Scarlet. So that's the one I have. So, you know, Violet, the I like the, the box ledge on Violet a lot more, but, you know, it's whatever. OK, so here's my next question. Is uh, is Ghastly? Yes. Is, is, so Ghastly's in the game. Is Ghastly version exclusive? No. Okay, good. Um, what other Pokemon do I love? Uh, can I get a Piplup in the game? Is that possible? Do you know? These are like the important questions. Uh, I do not believe so, no. All right. Well, I'm going to have to figure that out because those are the Pokemon I care about. Yeah, but uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a copy. I'll go in kind of blind. It is really good. I, I think... Like, I, I personally think Arceus was the best one that they've ever done. This is a close mm-hmm. second to me. Um, and I don't, like, I, I don't think that it's a fair comparison to compare it to Breath of the Wild. They're very different games. Like, it, it's like they are open world. It Like, Arceus was an open world game, but it's not, I don't think it's, it's, it's still very much a Pokemon game. But it has a very different story, and it's a much wider area and a much different way to explore the world than any of the other Pokemon games before it. So I think that's the only way that it's comparable to Breath of the Wild in that the way that you can explore the world and like walk around, jump, like glide places. Mm-hmm. That's that's why people can compare it to Breath of the Wild. But I don't think like it's still a Pokemon game at its heart. So if you like the Pokemon mechanics of battling and there are some different ways of catching Pokemon that are really neat. Arceus is really good. Um, some of those were removed in Scarlet and Violet, which I don't like. Like there was a way where you could sneak up on a Pokemon and throw it at it while it's, while it doesn't know you're there and you could stealth catch it. And that was one of my favorite oh. things from Arceus that they did not bring back in this game. And that's one of the ways that one of the things I wish they had done, but they didn't do that. Um, but I do think that both Arceus and Scarlet and Violet are excellent Pokemon games and the best additions to the franchises ever. Well, uh, maybe I'm going to pick one up and I will play it blind. I don't want to know. Yeah, what I'm gonna experience. do it. Do it. it uh, kind of like the, the, the same way I'm experiencing the advent calendar uh, magic cards, the, the like 30th anniversary countdown special thing that came out. Uh, I'm opening those without knowing what any of the cards are. It's making it very fun. I'm really excited to open up tomorrow's. Um, Anyways, those are our final thoughts. I'm just going to cut us off there because we're going pretty long. Uh, If you want to know uh, which Pokemon version I get, uh, you can join our Discord where I'll probably talk about it, um, where we have a a really popular Pokemon channel, people playing a lot of Pokemon. Uh, We're also going to be probably like, if you're listening to this on day of release and you want to get in our Discord like today, that's a good idea because tomorrow will be the first look at Phyrexia, all will be one, and you better bet our Discord is going to be going off talking about it. Um, we we kind of go wild on uh, news days like that. So um, yeah, join our Discord. You can access it by going to patreon.com slash cast and giving us $1 a month. That's all we ask of you. Uh, that is $12 a year, 
Uh, that's like nothing. That's like a, a set booster and a half. Um, it's it's well worth it, in my opinion. Uh, you can chat with Vorthoses from around the world uh, and uh, celebrate all the cool stuff coming out from Magic Story. Uh, talk about Pokemon. You can talk about whatever. We talk a lot about movies and TV, too. It's a, it's kind of like a, a cool little community. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, where we still update every week. Uh, as long as Twitter is still alive, we've got a twitter.com slash the Vorthos cast. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's where you can find us. We post all of our episodes on SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, etc. Uh, but, uh, I think that's the end of the plug. Is there anything else I need to plug here? Nope. Oh, well then. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast.